0: Well good morning. It's good to see you all and it's been great to be together with uh, many of you men the past um, couple days and um, loved getting to know uh, so many of you and Brad and as Brad said and I mentioned this a couple days ago too, uh, Ephesians 4, the risen Christ gives gifts to his church and one of those gifts gifts is uh, pastor pastors and uh, leaders and so we're in a culture where Um, headlines are all over about failed leaders all across the culture and um, uh, and especially pastoral leaders. But what doesn't get highlighted is the numerous ways in which Jesus is raising up faithful pastors. And so when you have faithful pastors, we give thanks. So it's great to be in your church, uh, to be with Brad and the other leaders. Um, And I loved uh, the song choices today. I think those were all the songs that are well known that have the word, the the emphasis of Jesus as a friend. Uh, there aren't enough, so if any of you are songwriters, um, would love for you to write a great song on Jesus as a Friend of Sinners, and let me know, because uh, there really are not many. Um So, great to be with you this morning. Um So, we're talking about friendship, and in particular, a gospel culture of friendship. So, there's a relational crisis in our culture right now, and it's not just because of the pandemic. The U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory this year, and in fact... Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General was, has been speaking for a number of years about the relational crisis in America. It's just gotten to the point now where they issued uh, an official advisory to the American public about these just this year in 2023. It's about 40 pages. You can find it online. It's actually a good read. Uh, it's titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, The U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection and Community. Here's how the introduction goes. In recent years, about one in two adults in America, so that's half of adults in America, reported experiencing loneliness. And that was before the COVID-19 pandemic cut off so many of us from friends, loved ones, and support systems, exacerbating loneliness and isolation. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms Both individual and societal health. And they give all sorts of studies and statistics to back that up. And then he writes, each of us can start now in our own lives by strengthening our connections and relationships. Our individual relationships are an untapped resource, a source of healing hiding in plain sight. So we're living in a very connected world, and yet we live also in this nation where there's an epidemic of loneliness. Right in the midst of living in a nation in a time where digital resources have connected us to one another more than ever. And this affects everybody, men and women, young and old. Marriage rates are decreasing. More and more people are living alone. Less people are participating in churches. And this decrease in connection is leading to and corresponds with an increase in depression and anxiety many of us feel in various degrees living in this culture. And certainly we know friends and family and neighbors who feel that. But Christians have a unique opportunity to enjoy and show a better way. Loneliness and isolation aren't new. Our tendency from the first day sin entered the world is to hide our true selves. And then Jesus came into the world to unite us back into real friendship with himself and with one another. So Jesus came to create in the world not even just isolated bonds of friendship here and there, but communities of friendship called local churches. And so the church, and local churches all over, can be communities of friendship in a world of isolation and really be the hope for our own nation. But here's the problem. Christians are often marked by the same kind of loneliness that's reflective culture-wide. Church gatherings are often collections of strangers. People sit on lonely pews and then go back to their lonely lives. In fact, I loved coming in here and seeing the organization of this room, and I could tell that this room was probably originally built to all be facing one way. Uh, I think this is a much better way um, to reflect the nature of what's happening in a church gathering. We're not just coming to sit next to strangers to hear things. Uh, We're coming as a community, as a family, as a culture of friends And so this even expresses that together, Um, though it's, of course, not wrong to do it either way. I just love the way you organize this room. So Jesus gives us a better vision. He befriends us, and then he calls us to cultivate a gospel culture of friendship, and that's what we can offer the world. So our text this morning is John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. So this is Jesus' final evening before he's crucified. He's preparing his disciples for life after he leaves, And he calls us to lives of true friendship with himself and one another. So John 15, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. So Jesus here is calling his disciples to fill the world with communities that are marked by friendship. He's calling the church to cultivate a gospel culture of friendship, and this text we just read shows us four realities about this kind of friendship. We see the vision, the necessity, the experience, and the mission of friendship. So we'll just walk through the text with those four realities in mind. So first, He gives us the vision of friendship here. Jesus's vision is for us to cultivate the gospel culture of friendship. And every Christian has a role to play in intentionally cultivating this. So I'm calling it a gospel culture because this is about how our life together as Christians in local churches is to be shaped by the gospel. So the gospel, uh, one way to summarize it is the good news of God's befriending love in Christ. We are called to receive that befriending love and then reflect it to others. The heart of this is verses 12 and 13. You can look at it again with me. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So there's three essential parts to this command of Jesus's. Jesus calls us to love one another, as he loved us in terms of sacrificial friendship. So first part of this, he calls us to love one another. This is the specific love of Christians for other Christians. Now, this doesn't mean that he's telling his followers they don't need to love people who are not Christians. We're to love all people. But there is a special love that Christians should have for other believers. And this is tangibly expressed in the local church. So if you're a believer and you're a member of this church, you have a specific and unique call to love the other friends of Jesus in this church. The second part of this is to love one another as he loved us. So Jesus is the standard. He's the model for love. His love is far deeper than our culture's view of love. He sets his affection on us from eternity past. He loves us to eternity future. And his love for us then becomes this transforming motivation that we have then to love one another like him. So we love because he first loved us, right? His love for us is so powerful when we experience it and receive it over and over and over again that it changes our hearts to make us love one another. We could say that Jesus loves love into us. And the love of a local church comes from this love and this grace and this gospel getting worked into our hearts. So as you experience and dwell in God's love for you, we begin to treat each other how Jesus treats us. Now, the third part of this sentence uh, is really what I'm wanting to get at, because I think this is probably nothing that we don't think about a lot already. We're to love other Christians. It reflects Jesus's love for us. But there's a neglected aspect here because... Jesus calls us to love one another as he loved us in terms of and explicitly in terms of sacrificial friendship. So Jesus is defining his love in a way that Christians have often missed. He defines it in terms of sacrificial friendship. So in verse 12, if you're looking at this, Jesus calls us to love as he's loved us. And then in verse 13, he defines the nature of that love greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So notice, Jesus doesn't define the greatness of love how we might expect. He doesn't say greater love has no one than this, a mother's love for her child, right? That's the greatest love in our culture, perhaps, a parent for a child or romantic love uh, between two lovers. Jesus says the greatest love is the love of friendship. And in particular, the moment and the act of sacrificing for friends. So Jesus is here indirectly speaking about the cross. He's about to be crucified in less than 24 hours. He's saying that, you know, he's about to be betrayed. Soldiers are about to show up and come and arrest him. And he's saying that the greatest act of love is laying one's life down for his friends. So, of course, he's actually... Speaking of the cross indirectly here, he wants his disciples to understand what's about to happen because they're totally unprepared and he wants to them to know that he's laying his life down for them as friends. So Jesus is saying tomorrow when I die for you, that's going to be the greatest expression of love in all human history and I want you to understand it in terms of friendship. When you look at the cross, you need to see it as an act of friendship. That's the love Christians are to have for one another. You receive that love And you reflect that to one another. So this is the vision that Jesus gives for a gospel culture of friendship. He's saying, churches, you should be filled with Christians who each individually take responsibility and initiative to love each other as Jesus has loved you in terms of sacrificial friendship. So the love of churches should look and feel like obvious networks of deep friendship. So anyone should be able to kind of parachute into a local church and say man what a group of friends never seen friendship like this in my life i think a lot of churches don't know that you probably do um but in thinking of it in terms of friendship is really powerful and gives us a joyful vision of what kind of life we're to have together and what a wonderful command that jesus gives us to enter into here so let's consider second though the necessity of this so if that's his vision why does this matter Well, it certainly matters because it's a command, right? Jesus begins this by saying, this is the command. But notice, he doesn't just call it a command, or even the command. He calls it my command. Jesus is summarizing everything he's called Christians to do for one another, and how we're to treat one another. And he's, everything boils down to this. It boils down to love. Love for God is, of course, priority, and flowing from this love for one another And this isn't the first time he said this. He's actually picking up what he said in chapter 13. So look back to chapter 13 in verses 34 to 35. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he calls us a new command here. Now, that's surprising because on the face of it, this isn't new, right? Um, If you've been reading the Bible from Genesis up to this point, and then he said a new commandment, you'd be thinking, no, I just read the old commandment. I've even read places where Jesus and others summarize the Old Testament. And that Old Testament commandment was to love. Jesus himself summarizes the Old Testament as a command to love one another and love God, of course. So what's new? How is this new? Well, it's new because of how Jesus is intensifying it. Notice he says, love one another just as I've loved you. So what's new is that our love for one another is to reflect Jesus's love for us. And Jesus says here that this is the mark of a Christian. There's an amazing little book on this text by Francis Schaefer called The Mark of a Christian. Anyone heard of that or read it? Yeah, you can look it up. It's great. It's great. Um, here's what he said upon his authority, Jesus gives the world the right to judge whether or not you and I are born again, Christians on the basis of our observable love for other Christians. He's just reflecting on this text and what this means. He also says there is a mark, which if the world does not see it allows them to conclude this person is no Christian. Of course, we may sometimes fail to love and still be a true Christian. But the point is that Jesus says the world can conclude that we aren't. Jesus is giving the mark of a Christian here. And it's the love for other Christians that reflects Jesus's love for us. But now back to John 15, Jesus is taking what he just introduced here in 13 and expanding on this and clarifying what he means. We can get more specific than this. Because Jesus picks up this command in chapter 15 in defining more closely what this love is and should look like. And it's the love of sacrificial friendship. It's this love, the love of sacrificial friendship that's the mark of a Christian. Do you see that when we put John 13 and John 15 together? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying the mark of a Christian is the Old Testament love command, ratcheted up, in Jesus' love for us, and further defined as friendship. So that's the mark of a Christian, is the love of friendship. Here's what this means for us. Friendship is not optional for Christians and churches. Pursuing true friendship with Christians is just as essential as the love command. Because it is the love command. In the mark that gives the world the right to conclude whether or not someone is a Christian is whether or not they see that person, that professing believer in Jesus, living in deep, loving, sacrificial friendship with other Christians. So Christian friendship, not the superficial, chummy, thin vision of friendship in our culture, but the kind of deep, true sacrificial friendship embodied in Jesus, and ultimately the cross, that's how the love command is lived out. So the mark of a Christian is love, and so the mark of a Christian is friendship. Those aren't two different statements. They're describing the same reality. So that's why friendship matters so much. Third, then, the experience of friendship. How do we experience this? This is now verses 14 and 15 in chapter 15. This shows us that friendship is here for us to receive and reflect. So we receive this love for Jesus, from Jesus, and then we reflect that love to one another. So he says this, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. So first we receive Jesus' friendship, So if you follow the the flow of thought here, in verse 13, Jesus drew attention to love as laying one's life down for friends. And then in verse 14, he says, you are my friends. So Jesus gave the command to love one another as friends, but now he's focusing on his love for his people as friends. So what's he doing? He's showing that he's the source for our love for one another. He's showing that his friendship with us is what motivates our friendship with one another. So the way to live out this friendship love command of verse 13 is by receiving the friendship of Jesus for us. Jesus says that he's changing the way that we're identified in relation to him. His disciples, he says, are no longer considered by him or called by him servants, but his friends. Now, to be a servant of Jesus is no small thing. We considered that aspect of this text Uh, yesterday as men what a great privilege moses was a servant of god the apostle paul loves to call himself a servant of christ but apparently for jesus that's not a high enough honor as far as jesus is concerned he's going to be calling us friends now some of us hear that and don't quite feel comfortable with it you're used to thinking of jesus as a king and yourself as a servant, maybe that's the, can your primary way in which you think of your relationship to Jesus. And it's, it's good and true to think of yourself that way, but some of you may relate to Jesus so exclusively in terms of this master and servant relationship that you don't really have an operative category of being a friend of Jesus. And because of that, your relationship with Jesus is distant, It's not marked by the intimacy and closeness and relational enjoyment that it's supposed to. Jesus is our authority, of course, but he's also our truest friend, and he wants us to know that, to enjoy that, to receive that, to live in light of it. Others of you may misunderstand this as kind of a very light or frothy, superficial thing. To say Jesus is a friend sounds cheesy, but I think the main reason why you may feel that way or think that way is because we're living in a culture that views friendship that way. Friendship is a light, superficial, thin reality. And so when we hear Jesus call us friends, we're like, well, surely that's not how a main way we're supposed to think about a relationship with Jesus. don't know what Jesus meant there, but that's not mainly what we're supposed to be thinking of. Um, Now, if you have that low view of friendship, it's not entirely your fault because we're living in a culture that has a low view of friendship. But Jesus is talking about a different vision of friendship altogether, something that's deep and strong and is the embodiment of the very eternal love of God for us. And notice how Jesus describes what his friendship with his people is marked by. It's marked by transparency and openness. That's the point of verse 15 as Jesus clarifies this. He says the difference between a servant and a friend is self-disclosure. Revealing deep personal knowledge. And that's what he's doing for his disciples on this final night. He's opening his mind and heart to them. And he does this for us through scripture and the Holy Spirit. as As the Spirit helps us understand God's word. So do you know what real friendship is? It's being completely known. And loved all the way to the bottom. It's being known to your depths and loved to the very end. And that's the love of Christ. So I want to pause and ask you, have you received the friendship of Jesus? If you're not a Christian, I wonder if you realize that this is what it's all about. What, what Christianity is all about, who Jesus is, and what he wants to invite us into. Christianity is not mainly about rules. It's about being known and loved by the God who made us. And of course, then as we enter into that relationship, there's wise guidelines for how he wants us to live in his pleasure and in his favor. He knows how life works. He gives us wisdom to live well in God's world. But this is fundamentally about receiving the forgiveness of Christ and the friendship of Christ. The cross is how he provides this. Our sin separates us from him, and Jesus died for our sins as an act of friendship, and he invites you to receive this. And if you are a Christian, have you realized that this is Jesus' disposition toward you? I'm certainly not saying that if you haven't thought of Jesus as in terms of a friend, you're not a Christian. No, uh, this isn't the only angle at which we can understand the love of Christ. Um, but maybe you've embraced the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ You're realizing now there's more to this than you might have thought. He is not just your savior or your king. He's also your truest friend. And he died for you to befriend you. So do you relate to him on terms of friendship? So we experience friendship with Jesus by receiving this from him. And second, we then reflect it to others. This is actually the heart of this text. We love others as he loved us in terms of friendship, right? So one of the central ways that we obey Jesus. So if you, in fact, if if you recognize Jesus as the king and you're all about obedience to Jesus, do you know the primary way that you obey Jesus? According to this text, you know what it is? It's to enjoy friendship with other Christians. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. What did Jesus command? We'll look a couple of verses earlier love one another as I've loved you in terms of friendship. You you just cannot separate obedience to Jesus from the sheer enjoyment of friendship with him and one another. They were never meant to be apart. So if your obedience to Jesus does not look and smell like the joy of friendship, it's a very narrow view of obedience. He's inviting us into a wonder here of relational love. So, He loves us by dying for us as friends, and then his central command is to reflect that love toward one another. So this is how we experience friendship, but at this point, it could all seem a bit inwardly focused, not necessarily individually focused, but inwardly as a church focused. If we're a church filled with friendships, my church is filled with friendships, your church is filled with friendships. What about our mission to our neighbors and the nation's? Well, this is actually directly related to our mission. It's how our lives can draw people to Jesus by the Spirit. So forth, the mission of friendship. In verse 16 now, Jesus says, right from all of this focus on friendship, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I set you apart. Why? That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So he's speaking to the 11 apostles here, but his, his words apply to all disciples. He chose us to be his friends. So uh, doctrine of election, even that is clothed with the friendship of Christ. Jesus brings this up in the context of friendship. He chooses his friends. What a, what a gift. And he sets us apart for a purpose. And that purpose is to go and bear fruit. The fruit he has in view is probably the fruit that comes from mission because of this idea of him appointing or setting his people apart, and sending them to go and bear fruit. So the fruit is seeing people come to know Jesus as their friend, their truest friend. That's our mission in the world. We are befriended by Jesus to befriend one another and then to invite other people into the friendship we enjoy with one another and with Jesus. The Apostle Paul speaks this way in Second Corinthians 5 with this ministry of reconciliation we've received, reconciling people to God in friendship and reconciling people to one another who were once hostile. And we see how the love of friendship and mission work together a couple chapters later in John 17, verse 21. So if you look ahead there, it's this is that the prayer of Jesus, sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What a sacred text. So this prayer Jesus gives later that evening, and here's what he prays in verse 21. He prays, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So this language of oneship or oneness, is picking up on the theme of love in our text. It's been running through chapters 13 and 15 on to 17 here, and he prays that the church, Christians, would be so unified in the truth and in this gospel culture of friendship love. And what's the purpose of that unification? What's the purpose of the unity of the church? That the world would conclude the that Jesus that, I, that they talk about, I believe this is true. Jesus says he wants the world to see the oneness of Christians, the friendship love of Christians, and conclude that he really was sent by the Father. The world, that the world would know that the gospel we believe is actually true. Francis Schaefer again, he calls this love the final apologetic of the gospel. So apologetics, um, that in, we often think of it, this involves answering people's objections or questions about Christianity. We need intellectual apologetics. But even if we answer all of their questions, will people listen if they don't see our love? Schaefer put it like this, without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen, even when we give proper answers. Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. For years, the Orthodox Evangelical Church has done very poorly. So it is well to spend time learning to answer the questions of men who are about us. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget That the final apologetic, which Jesus gives, is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. In light of our text, I think we can also add this. It is the true sacrificial friendship that is the final apologetic of the gospel. That's the love and unity that Jesus is praying for here in John 17. So the final apologetic is friendship. We have an incredible opportunity in our culture right now. People are lonely and isolated and they long for friendships. Some of the most popular shows the past 20 plus years are people searching for some forms of friendship, friends, the office. Our culture is watching friendship and longing for friendship, but friendships that the world searches for they are having trouble finding which is why we have an epidemic of loneliness or they're finding it through online communities that have a narrow agreement in ideology or political view it's so this isn't the deep love of sacrificial friendship that jesus offers and so jesus is calling us then in this text to do a couple things to make sure we don't disconnect mission from friendship Right. Make sure as you think about evangelism and answering people's questions honestly and sending the gospel to the nations and taking it to the nations, don't disconnect it from friendship. And he's also calling us to not disconnect friendship from mission. Your Christian's friendships partly serve the purpose of helping other people see that the gospel that you believe is true. They can see the evident love that Jesus has brought into the world. So your Christian friendships are to be observable. So... That calls us to, to think creatively. How can we enjoy our friendship publicly or invite others into our gatherings or in our homes or in our relationships? So they can see and conclude there is something going on here with Christians and their joyful, sacrificial love for one another. The Jesus they talk about must be real. And I know some of you are Christians because of that. So many people become Christians because someone befriended them and they were invited into a community of friendship and then they were loved and welcomed. They saw the kind of friendship love of the community. They then heard of the friendship of Jesus and they concluded it was true. So let's wrap up by considering a few strategies for cultivating a gospel culture of friendship and just enjoying this reality that Jesus gives us. Number one, build friendship into your life. So God made us for friendship. It's why we all long for it. This is why the Surgeon General would issue an advisory in our year on a culture that lacks it, in a culture that lacks it. Our longing for friendship is not just here because of evolution. It's not just important for the survival of a species. This is our design. God built us for this. So let's not just value family and work or, in our culture, individual success and performance and moving up a ladder, or a social esteem. Those are important, well, family and work are, but Jesus said, my command is that you love one another in terms of sacrificial friendship. So we have to build this into our lives and habits. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about this this past weekend as men, but just think about your schedule and make sure you're carving out room and creating space to have people into your life and serve people as friends. Second, cultivate friendship on Sundays. So I encourage you to make sure you connect with one another um, before and after the service. You know, come early. Look for the loneliest person in the room. If you often feel like the loneliest person, look for the next loneliest person. Um, And sit next to them and befriend them. This room should never have a lonely person for more than a minute. Um, This should be a place of friendship and befriending and be a connector to one another, too. If you are not very good at sustaining long conversations, that's something you can grow in. But what you can do is just connect people to other people who are good at it. Bring other people into that circle of conversation and linger longer rather than going right to the parking lot. Engage people. Look for someone new. Look for a friend that is close already and ask questions that get into the deep things of life. Invite someone out for lunch and then make sure one of your, your questions is just, hey, what stood out to you from the service this morning? Was there anything challenging or encouraging from God's word? I mean, we're assuming that the spirit is doing amazing, miraculous things in our minds and hearts in this time together. So then let's just share that with each other and talk about those together. Third, open up your home to create space for friendship. So hospitality is one way to do this. Hospitality, not the same as entertaining, right? Right. Uh, entertaining has more of a connotation of having a perfect home that's spotless so that people come over and you get your fine china out and you have a great time and then you're exhausted. And because it takes so much work to do this, you actually never do it anyway, right? Um, Hospitality is different. Of course, make sure it smells nice and you know the socks are off the floor. That doesn't take long. But it, it's just creating an atmosphere where you have an open home and open heart for one another and invite people into this and love them. If you don't have a home where that's conducive is... It, Invite people out to to dinner or lunch or coffee. Hospitality is about creating an atmosphere around yourself that's open. That's all that ultimately is. And then invite not only a Christian to be with you, but someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. So that that person who doesn't yet know Jesus can see the observable love that you have for another Christian and for them, but the special love that you have for their Christian and the sacrifice there And and they can see that and think, I have not seen anything like this in my life. They can see that observable love. Fourth, don't make yourself an exception. So sometimes we can hear a message like this and think, that's all fine in general, but my situation is different. Or we can think, I'm so glad this person's here. They need to hear this, right? Um, But don't do that. Don't think that you're an exception. You may be thinking, I'm in midlife my life is so full, my family life is full, my workload is full, I've lost touch with friends, I don't even know how to restore those again, I'll pick it back up one day. Or you're thinking, I'm in my last stretch of life, I actually have enjoyed this in my life, um, but my, the Lord's taken my friends, and I don't know how to make friends anymore. Uh, is it even important anymore? Or I've tried to make friends and it doesn't work, and I'm just needing to give up and I'm fine alone. And to everyone, no matter what your situation is, no matter what is going through your mind right now, Jesus says this, this is my command that you love one another as I've loved you and as we saw in terms of sacrificial friendship. Fifth, become like the great friend. Christian growth is ultimately about learning from Jesus to become like Jesus. That's what it boils down to. And here we see that Jesus is the greatest friend. He is the model of true love and sacrificial friendship. As you become like Jesus, the greatest friend, you will become a better friend. So get to know him, walk with him as a friend, and become like him. If, if you think of Jesus only in terms of a king, you'll either merely have your life shaped as a servant who does not know the master well at all. Or you'll start to reflect the kingship of Jesus in a very narrow, unhelpful way and you'll just be an authoritarian leader. Because the only model you have from Jesus is an authority who commands. So you become like him. You're known as an authority who commands. That's not a full picture of Jesus. So get to know him as a friend. And let the warmth and relational joy of friendship mellow you, and make you a joy to be around. Set people at ease among you. Finally, then enjoy this friendship with the great friend. He's the source of it all. The U.S. Surgeon General's advisory report is actually really good. It holds out a beautiful vision for mutual love and care and support. But that advisory alone is not able to actually change the culture of America because Americans don't mainly need just a reminder. Or some good advice. Though that will help. Ultimately, we need God to change our hearts. In the way the world changes most deeply will be through Christians who are befriended by Jesus showing that love to other people and inviting them in to the friendship of Jesus as well. So enjoying the friendship of Jesus. It's being known all the way down and loved all the way to the end and just living a happy, joyful life in light of it.